2022-23 college basketball season is here and we are excited to have another season of Automatic and what better way to start this season is to have our good friend Debbie Antonelli, the hardest working person in college basketball. And Debbie, I know I don't even have to ask you that if you're ready for college basketball, because it seems like you're always ready for college basketball. <laughs> I never take a break. I love it. I know. Uh, I, I, I actually love it. Um, you know, it, it's such a fun time of year. Uh, everyone loves their team right now. And so it's great to talk to the coaches. But uh our game is advanced. There are more people covering it. Uh, and I, I want to always say the product is the narrative. That's one of the things that I sell because I think our product is really good. Oh, it definitely is. And it's continuing to improve. But you cover both men and women. So how do you even balance just your schedule overall? Because that's a lot. Uh, it, it requires quite a bit of organization on my end. And I try to, to maintain um some sort of rhythm. I don't think there's any balance to anything that I do in my life, whether it's, um, you know, my responsibilities as a mom or, or being a college basketball analyst. But uh, I, I just consume as much as I can. I try to stay organized. I try to keep um, some really good notes. I try to um, evaluate teams immediately after seeing them so then I can refer back to some good notes on question marks I may have or things that I'm looking forward to watching. And I think that helps me, um, you know, streamline all this information. You know, that's really wide into like a narrow couple of bullet points, like two or three points about each team, because that's all really anybody wants to hear on the air. You know, Debbie, you've been at this for decades. What keeps you so energized for this job? I, it's easy to say how much I love it. And a lot of people say that, but I am 100 percent invested in trying to help our game grow in lots of different areas, um, especially on the women's side. And uh, I, I, you know, make all of my decisions around a couple of standards, and that is to build, serve, and empower. And if I can do those things around the game, around the camps, around um, my fundraiser for Special Olympics, all the things that I'm doing, it really keeps me operating at a high level. And I think I'm one of those people that um, the the more pressure or the, the – um, as deadlines approach, I think I'm actually better than I am when I'm trying to sit and watch film. I've got to do something while I'm doing that. Like I got to take some serious notes. I'm not somebody that can sit down and read a book. It's really hard for me to open up any chapter and and try to dive into something else. I mean, I spend all my time and my focus and I just love it. And I love it because of people like you, Steffi. I mean, you know, you're a player that I covered. I watched you play. I've watched you grow in this industry. And And it, you know, as I'm getting towards the end I'm certainly not at the beginning. Now, there's no definition to the end for me because I'm I'm planning on being here a long time and they're going to have to drag me out is what I always say. <laughs> but um, I absolutely love it. And I love it because of the people and, and the players. And if I've gotten through this much of my career raising three boys um, and now I have a, a little bit more time than I've ever had, then I, I'm just even more invested 100 percent in doing doing so to advance our game. What's that like being an empty nester now? Well, I don't know how much my husband likes it, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's great. Um, you know, I say I was uh, home three nights in October and, you know, what were you doing? Well, I was doing media days and practices and seeing my boys and being on the road. And uh, it's it's that's the fun stuff. You know, um, I got a new car at the beginning of October uh, and I already have thirty four hundred miles on it. So I have been on the move. <laughs> 
And, um, and I don't get to as many places as I'd like to get to. But, you know, when I can call up the Duke men and they can say, sure, you're welcome to come to practice. That's a real uh, gratifying situation to be in for somebody like me, that uh, John Shire 100% trusts me to be able to come to his practice. And I, I feel that sort of um, credibility and reputation across the college basketball landscape. I think the coaches know on the men and the women's side that uh, I'm, I'm coming in the gym to, to do some good, not to do some bad or pick it apart. All right, so I do have to ask, though, walk back in memory lane, first time you're seeing Steffi as a player. Oh, How that. would you describe Steffi as a player? <laughs> Shoot her off the bus. She's embarrassed right now. <laughs> Shoot her off the bus. I'm trying to get her on the golf course. I want to see what kind of shot maker she is there. Um, I've asked her many times. Yes. i got to get her. I know what kind of shot maker she is on the basketball court. Um, Stephanie, Steffi is such a hardworking uh, shooter. She understands um, – that side of the game, the angles, how to play, not just to read a play, and that makes her a good analyst. Thanks, Debbie. Hey, that's that's a good teammate right there, Rich. <laughs> Setting me up, making me look good. But, you know, you've been on the call, Debbie, for so many huge, iconic moments. I know you were there for Coach K's last game, and you got to call that. What was that like? Well, that was something beyond my wildest dreams or goals. I never thought somebody like me growing up on Tobacco Road, even though I went to NC State, obviously Duke and Carolina are part of the fabric of college basketball, and that is the greatest rivalry. And when ESPN showed enough confidence in me, knowing that I had two games earlier that day in the ACC tournament in the semifinals, I think a lot of people have forgotten that I actually called three games that day. I can't imagine having a better triple header than that uh, to, to arrive in the gym and have having uh, I actually had Coach K's last three home games. So I had been in the environment towards the end. And so I knew what that was going to feel like. And then to call the game with two of my friends, Mark Packer and Wes Durham. You know, I grew up listening to Billy and I grew up listening to Woody. And when I looked to my left, I could have sworn Wes looked like his dad. And when I looked to my right, Mark looked like Billy. And that was kind of cool as well. And then the way the game uh, went, you know, it was just absolutely amazing. I'm sure the Duke fans are still not happy about it. But, man, did Carolina ruin the party. I mean, and it was a party until the last four or five minutes of the game. And how could you describe just how that was scripted? Not only that game, but then how the season ended for Duke, that they also played North Carolina in the Final Four. I don't think any of us could have scripted that type of scenario. Certainly not the Duke fans, right? It's not the way you want to see Coach K go out, although he did get to another Final Four, so that, that's impressive. Um, the thing for me is I had North Carolina the end of January, beginning of February. Reese Davis and I were on the call down in Coral Gables. Miami was up by 30 at halftime. And you looked at that North Carolina team and you're like, man, I mean, they've got talent. Could they put it together or are they going to miss the tournament completely? And then you go and, and you know the celebration of Duke and, and the way the season was sort of uh, crescendo towards the end. It's a perfect, um, perfect setup. Uh, it, it was it's amazing to to be a part of that historic rivalry. To say that I got to be on the call for the last game is something that definitely tops everything else. And Steffi, you're right. I've had. In my career, I've had some incredible moments, you know, Pat winning 900 and 1,000. I was on the call for those. Gino winning 1,000. I was on the call for that. Tara passing Pat to the all-time 
wins leader. I was on the call for that one. So I could keep going on and on about some of the, the major milestones that have happened in our game. And I've been so fortunate that uh, it just worked out timing wise that I was the person that was there. And I'm so grateful for that because I know that I will always carry that history and share it um, to generations moving forward. Rich, talk about feeling lazy. Three games and Coach K is your last game of the day. I mean, that's like, name a, a, another analyst that's doing that kind of work outside of maybe Kirk Herbstreit on the men's side that does game day and then calls a game, you know, at night. I mean, Debbie, you're just a legend. I, I you know, know what, You know I'm trying to work every night. I mean, yeah, I, know, I tell I our bosses all the time. I don't know if they believe me or not, but it's serious. Like, I, I used to work every night uh, when – Years, years ago, before I was full-time with ESPN and I was working for lots of different networks at the same time, my schedule would be like Sunday ACC, Monday night ACC, Tuesday Big East, Wednesday Big 12, Thursday in the SEC, Friday was my travel day, back to the Big 12, doubleheaders on Saturday. I'd always do the first game so I could catch the last flight each so I could be back on Sunday. I had clothes all over the country, suits here and there. I had people helping me with my travel. I don't like to check a bag. As you know, if you're traveling every day and you got a game every day, you really don't want to check your bag. So um, I just figured it out. You know, I just figured it out. And it was it was great. It was a great rush. And my guys were little. I do sometimes look back and think I may not have been mother of the year during that time, but I'm making up for it now. How much is that in terms of how much you're working, the passion for the game, but also just the work ethic that you have, uh, you know, how do you, what's the balance there? Well, I don't ever, like I said earlier, I don't ever think there's any balance. I think there's a rhythm to everything we do. Um, I'd like to have balance in my life, but that's not going to happen. It's not going to be 50, 50. And there are times where it's, um, it's skewed a lot more towards um, the college basketball. And, and I love that. I love that rhythm about it, but um, it is, it's so much fun. Uh, I take uh, my responsibility very seriously because our game continues to evolve. Uh, I don't want to miss on a kid that should be on some sort of national watch list or a kid that has had a great year, has potential to have even a better year. I want to make sure I'm on top of all of that. And social media has certainly helped. Synergy has helped. Um, those are the things that um, I sort of rely on more than I, than game notes, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, Sefi, I don't know how you feel about, but, uh, you know, good game notes are the top page is the top lines, and then the back page is the stats, and I started the stats first. Um, and, and that's where I, I work my game boards from backwards forward. Um, so I, I, I consider myself to be a very strong stakeholder. I consider Steffi to be a very strong stakeholder. We need her voice, and... We need our work ethic. The young ones that are coming up, I, I don't scold them, but I do give them to them like in mom terms, like you better do the work and you better come ready to play. We need you. The game needs you. We don't have enough people covering our game. So if you're in a position to call a game, you better bring your best effort and you better be ready. And I say that about the top players, but I also feel that way about number 12, 13, 14, 15 on the roster. If they get a chance to play, if you know there's going to be a blowout, we better be ready to make sure that we know everything that we can about that young person getting in the game because their grandmother might be watching and this might be the only time they get to play. So I'm, I'm very cognizant of that as well on the men and the women's side, both. 
Debbie, I got to ask you along that way, when you're, you're going through your schedule and it's basically seven days a week, you're working these games. Was there anyone along your journey discouraging you from that or trying to say, hmm. Hey, you're crazy or this, or did you have a lot of support maybe from your husband or, or from former teammates, anything like that? Oh, my husband is 100% in support and he's got his own, um, major, um, you know, marketing golf company where he's got 13 full-time employees. He's a busy man as well. So we figured out how to do it. Um, for me, um, all the time that I was gone, peace of mind for me was knowing that I always had somebody in the house, regardless of how many kids were here. Um, and I paid that person every day after school to be here. I asked my husband if he would just make sure he was home to have dinner and put him to bed. And, um, and we worked it out that way. That was, those were kind of the things that we, we tried to, you know, survive by, but I, I took a lot of early flights, late flights. I don't think anybody ever realizes that, you know, even when I would land on the days that I could be home, uh, I would immediately go to the school and have lunch with my kids or do something there. So I had a visible presence in the school, especially with my middle son, Frankie, which was really important to have a presence. Those that are that don't know my family, my, I have three boys. My middle son has Down syndrome. Actually, he's a recent college graduate from Clemson in the Clemson Life Program. So we're That's really... Right pumped up Let's about go that. Tigers. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't uh, be remiss not to mention Joey and Patrick as well, but um, they, that required a little bit extra uh, with Frankie. So um, it's just a matter of trying to, you know, stay where your feet are and, and, and stay in the moment and just be prepared for what's next. And so, you know, there used to be uh, before the transfer portal, you could actually study teams in the summer. But I sort of feel like if you got to wait till August to see who's on the roster and see who's enrolled in school before you can really take a deeper dive into some of these teams. But uh, it's all good because there's more resources available to all of us to be able to study the game. And talking about the transfer portal, what's the impact of the transfer portal that you're seeing right now, even though we're still kind of early into it? And how will it look several years down the road? Well, we're definitely not going backwards. I think there will be some guidelines. I don't know if it's a good idea for kids to play at four different schools in four years. I'm not sure that's healthy for the game or for the the student athlete. So I think there will be some guidelines on how that happens with transfers. Uh, I don't like the idea that you can put your name in the portal without having any conversation with your coach. Uh, I think that that's the first point that I would like to, to fix. Um, and I, overall, I mean, I'm not going to say it's totally bad for the game. I will tell you that on the men's side, the last two years, there's been 3,600 kids in the portal. That's a lot. I'm not sure what the number is on the women's side, but it's got to be close. And, uh, I see teams adding experience and immediate impact so that we have a broader based competitive field, right? It's not just one or two teams. Now there's a bunch of teams that I think could win it. Certainly South Carolina is the favorite, but I think there's some other teams that could challenge them depending on seeding and matchups in the NCAA tournament. And um, that's all stuff that, that I'm thinking about right now on November 1st, you know, about who's going to be there and, and how they could get there and what are the pieces that they've added that will allow them to get there? What question marks do they have? Because that's, that's what you do this time of year is, you know, when I put my poll together, I'm looking at, who has right now the least number of question marks about their team? That's the first poll. 
Then we play a few games. Then you reassess, in my mind, have they answered those questions? Are those questions still there? What matchups could happen that could cause those question marks to become an issue? So that's the way I look at it. Debbie, let's talk about money, right? Uh, I know you. I know you like <laughs> money. Who doesn't like money? Players are getting money, and, and a lot of it. And I think that the portal and NIL has changed the landscape in athletics. I know that you know that more than anyone. What are your thoughts on it? And maybe the the uh, trickle down effect of maybe some mid major schools, or you know, how is it going to impact everybody? Well, let me say this about NIL. I'm not against it. Um, It's not going backwards either. Um, That is out. I will say this, Steffi, I don't do anything for free anymore. So if anybody wants my services, they definitely have to pay. For 30 plus years of doing things for free and the game is over. Okay, if the kids are getting paid, I'm going to get paid. That's first and foremost. All right. I never had that attitude before, but that's where I am. Um, I think there's two pieces to it. There's the financial piece that we all talk about the money side of it, but there's an educational part of it that I share with a lot of student athletes. So they don't forget about this part of it. And that is this, if, you know, I went to NC state, Steffi, if you were running Coca-Cola and I was interested in working for Coke as a student athlete, I would never be able to have any contact with you, right? The NCAA prohibited us from having contact because you were a donor or you were a friend of the university I could not have lunch or coffee with you. Well, there's a whole networking component here that's now available to student athletes that they really should be considering because in the big scope of things with my mom hat on and my three boys all in school, J-O-B is what you're supposed to be getting ready to get, okay? (laughs) This is all like fantasy land, playing hoops and going to school and having fun. I mean, you kidding me? Now you got some options to grow up a little quicker on some economic decisions that you can make about where your future is. But the the ability to cultivate a relationship, the ability to network, the ability to go to somebody that is a a graduate or a friend of your university and find a way to sit down, you have an inherent advantage because you are a student athlete. Not any student can just pick up the phone and call Coca-Cola, but if you play basketball, you probably can get in the door. And so that's one side of it that I look at. As far as the NIL stuff goes, I think it's phenomenal that especially the the players that are at the top of our game can help influence uh, other opportunities for young women. And as long as they're taking that attitude about it, and each one of them are, which is great, then I think it's going to be eventually good. But I, I, I think the networking piece of it is a really important piece. Well, don't you think, you know, you and I were both at the women's final four that you take a look at some of maybe the top 10 highest earners in terms of their name, their likeness. A lot of those were the, were the women, uh, you know, yeah. that's good for our game. Wouldn't you say growing it? Steffi, you know, I have been a strong advocate for, The product is a narrative and putting our product in a position to be sold. I think for decades, we didn't even try. And we didn't, if we did, we weren't trying hard enough. I am tired of being bonus inventory and add on inventory. I want the women's game to stand on its own. I'm not going to launch into the Sweet 16 to Vegas or a destination city. However, that is one piece of it that I have been advocating for for 15 years. So this is not new for me to to talk about sales and promotion. I I 
I mean, speaking candidly, I don't want to hear about a strategic plan or best practices anymore. I think we have some bad practices. And I think that the NIL space, because Aaliyah Boston and Paige Beckers and Caitlin Clark are becoming household names, how can that be bad for our game? I was reading something about the Big Ten uh, network and how significantly their ratings have increased over time with Caitlin Clark. It's amazing to think that since she's been on campus, 46% increase in ratings for Big Ten women's basketball. The Big Ten tournament, 76% increase over the last five years. That's directly related to the product. You know, it's directly related to who we are on the floor, how we play. I don't think we're doing anything significantly different on the outside. I wish we would. But I, I think we're making efforts to, to try to market and promote our game through the lens of a few household names, and that can be really good for our game. And so now looking into this 2022 season, obviously you look at South Carolina, you look at Stanford, you look at Texas, you look at the, the usual suspects. But from your perspective, who are some of the teams that you're buying into right now? And then maybe some teams that you're a little concerned before we actually start playing some games? Well, I'm looking at some numbers and uh, South Carolina, they scored 123 points in an exhibition game. Now, I'm not, I don't care who you play. That's 123 points. Texas scored 105, Tennessee 108, Notre Dame scored 118. Okay, that's good. Some teams I know can go five on O for 40 minutes and can't score that many points, right? <laughs> that's, that's impressive. All right, so... I like Texas. I like Louisville. I like Stanford. Um, Tennessee, I think, is going to have to shoot the ball really well around their size. Uh, and we'll see if they improve in that area. I think they will. But Texas is interesting to me um, because Vic has been to five straight elite eights. Vic Schaefer, three at Mississippi State, two at Texas. He is on a much faster timeline than a lot of people thought he would be on at Texas. They haven't been to the Final Four, Texas, since 03. This could be 20 years. Like, that's impressive to me. He knows how to do it, and he's been there, and his teams don't shy away from the big moment, that's for sure. Um, Louisville, Jeff Walls has been to four straight Elite Eights. That's impressive. The ACC is probably maybe the best it's ever been. There are five teams, in my estimation, in the ACC that could win the ACC regular season and tournament. I don't think the same team's going to win both. I think the parity in that league is as good as it's ever been. And when I say five, I'm talking about Louisville, NC State, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and Notre Dame. And then just on the outside of that, a lot of people are missing on Miami. I think Miami is another team that's really solid, that has added pieces in the transfer portal with the Cavender twins. Everybody talks about, you know, their, their name, image, and likeness stuff, but you know, those Cavender twins can play. And, and especially one of them, I got them mixed up right now. I'm not sure which one is which, but one of them was player of the year in their league and she's going to run the point some and she can play. Um, so uh, I, I, I feel like there's so much um, excitement around the season this year. And I definitely think the portal has helped a lot of those teams. I wanted to ask you, Debbie, about just the men's side, because, you know, you call, you know, the women's NCAA tournament, you call the men's NCAA tournament. And uh, 
Man, let me tell you something. I was preparing to do a SEC Men's Media Day. The roster turnover, holy cow, is crazy. <laughs> I mean, I was doing Arkansas. They had two players back, LSU, one player back. You know, completely different rosters. So I, I, I know we, we could talk about UNC or some of your favorites, um, Debbie, but what's your outlook on the, on the men's side? Well, yes, I'm very fortunate I get to call the men's tournament, and I'm grateful to our ESPN management team for allowing me to do so. That's a big deal for me. It's like the Super Bowl, um, calling the for first and second round on the NCAA men's tournament. And I've done that for the last six years. And um, it's a big part of my schedule, obviously. Um, you know, North Carolina, obviously, with everyone back, uh, I think is, is good. I'm keeping my eye on Creighton, I think, from the Big East. I personally love watching the Big East on the men's side. I think it is such good basketball. They don't always have a big rim protector and not always have the great size that some of the other power fives might have, but man, they can really ball and their guard play is always good. And there's excellent coaches in that league. So I love watching the big East. I always seem to get big East teams on my NCAA tournament schedule on the men's side. So I'm keeping an eye on some teams there Uh, out of the ACC, obviously North Carolina. uh, I think uh, a team like Miami on the men's side, I'm keeping an eye on. I think they're a team that's poised to have a a good run. Jim Laranega certainly knows how to do it. And then when you go out West, um, you know, Houston is a team. Kelvin Sampson is somebody I've had in the tournament a couple of times. Uh, you talk about d up and playing physical. I mean, they're going to trap every ball screen and they're going to double the post and you're going to have to make a play out of it. Uh, I'm excited about watching them. So there's a lot to keep up with. Uh, there's a lot of um, study to take place. But if I have a broad base knowledge of most teams and I feel like I do that, then um, it makes my preparation on the NCAA tournament uh, that much easier. Uh, and hopefully... I will have had a few of those teams when you get to the tournament. There's been years where I've had eight brand new teams and, and, Ooh, and you get your tough. schedule on Sunday at midnight and you're playing on Thursday. That's a lot to get ready for in a short time, but it's, it's all fun. And uh, I'm, I'm so excited to have uh, another really good December, November, December schedule right now waiting on conference play. Well, that uh, big East, that's nostalgia for you and I, Debbie, where, Steffi, I don't even, she wasn't even born when the Big East was such a powerhouse in college basketball. Yeah. Right. right. Steffi, Steffi knows the Big East, though, because she studies it. So she knows. But if you're, on a, if you're on a random night and you don't have a game, put a Big East game on. It's good. Agreed. All right. So, Debbie, the other thing is, how can we form a committee to get the men's game to follow some of the things that have happened in the women's game, like going to quarters and those type of things? It's, it's overdue for the men's side. Well, men's college basketball is the only basketball that still plays halves. Everywhere else around the world, everybody is in quarters. I think part of the reason why, and I'm not 100% sure that this is going to be accurate, but this is just what I've heard, there's so much inventory on the men's side to sell. Part of the reason why we have a billion-dollar business that they're not going to shrink the number of inventory windows. So that's first and foremost. Um, so I don't believe they will go to four quarters, but I do think they could advance the ball at the end of the game. And yes. there are times when the men's game at the last four under the four minute mark can take 30 minutes to finish. Uh, and I think that is um, some, some, some aspect of the game that I think that the coaches would like. I think they would enjoy being able to advance the ball. I think it's just more exciting. Um, I thought at first in the women's game, 
when we put the four quarters in, I thought, mm, I don't understand why we're trying to speed up the game. Like, why our game's not slow in the first place? And I'm not sure that it has sped up the game in terms of level of play. What it has done is reduce the number of inventory um, commercials that we have and until we get to the NCAA tournament, right? And then the commercial inventory changes a little bit. But um, I'm, I'm all in favor. Uh, I thought it was a little window dressing. Like we're going to go to four quarters, a little window dressing. But mm-hmm. now I think the fans have become comfortable with it. And to be honest, from a television standpoint, what we say in the very beginning to set up the game is not nearly as important as what we say at the end of the game. And so there are times where I don't know about you, Steph, when you're in the studio and I'm sitting, potentially I'm sitting in the studio and I'm going, uh, you know, call timeout, foul, call timeout. So we have more time post-production to talk about the game, more studio time to break down the game. Yeah. More windows and opportunities to talk about something in our game, not just that particular game, but if we had an extra 10 minutes on the end. So from a TV standpoint, I do think our game has benefited in that regard. ESPN, our, our team does a great job of on the back end of games, buttoning up that game and having time to advance another game or time to talk about players or teams around the country that maybe don't get as much love. And I think that's a great thing for our game that we get a chance to do that. I try to always do that when I'm in that situation. Yeah, there's. I think there's a good rhythm and calling the game on the women's side with quarters. You'd agree? Rhythm is, is I feel like, you can kind of find your groove. Yeah, yeah I think uh, there's more. There's a little more strategy with the two-for-ones. You know, not everybody practices those. Um, not everyone incorporates those. Uh, but I do like that. If the guys had that strategy, uh, I think it would definitely help help the game. I definitely think they would like to have a few more two-for-ones. I don't think they'll go to quarters, but the advancing the ball can certainly give them that opportunity to do some things uh, in a two-for-one situation uh, inside a minute. But I, I think they're definitely – you have to – There's a there is a rhythm to how you call a game, and there's a rhythm to how you uh, break down a game. You know, there's always on every play really four options. You can go offense, defense, team A, team B. So that gives you a lot of uh, variables there that you can discuss. And I think the rhythm comes in when you're keeping it balanced in terms of how you're calling it. You can't just talk about South Carolina's defense the whole first half. You've got to talk about um, other things about their program or other ways the team can attack it or how you can find ways to try to get inside that D. You know, like there's there's lots of balance and rhythm there. So I do agree. All right, before we get you out of here, Debbie, got to ask, how do you prepare yourself for the 24-hour nothing but net marathon <laughs> <laughs> and raising all that money for Special Olympics? Just talk about that because that is a fantastic yeah. annual event that you put on. Well, thank you so much for asking about that. That is uh, obviously it's something that's uh, really important to me and my family. My middle son, as I mentioned earlier, Down syndrome. Uh, and has benefited greatly from Special Olympics. And we're all sport all the time here. And so it was kind of a crazy idea. You know, I'm always trying to, you know, challenge players to become better shooters. I don't challenge Steffi. She's already a great shooter. But there are a lot of players in our game that don't shoot the ball well. And and scoring, I think, is the most important thing. So everything's a derivative of offense. You know, 
going on offense, never being on defense, being offensive minded, you know, and everything that I do and trying to think forward. Uh, I was sort of wondering how I could monetize my ability to shoot the ball still at my age and someone that gets AARP mail. I thought, well, I wonder what I could do to help. <laughs> so so I, I came up with this idea. Uh, the state of South Carolina CEO, uh, Special Olympics, kind of scratched their head, but they didn't doubt that I could pull it off. And the thing that um, I want anyone listening and players to know, because I'd like players to try this, I mean, I'm constantly thinking about my conditioning all the time. It's not the ability to shoot the ball. I've shot it a billion times. It's the fitness that comes with being able to make 100 every hour for 24 hours. And so I have this free throw burpee routine. So you know the bar that you put in your door frame to do pull-ups on? I put that in the driveway. And so I go free throw burpee, free throw burpee. I do 10 sets of 25 makes. If I miss the free throw, I still do the burpee. And so I do that, and, and I, I, it build, I build up to that. And then once I master that, then I go four sets of 50, and then I go two sets of 100, and then I know I'm ready. So I, I'm in my neighbors, I mean, they do think that I'm nuts, but they all know <laughs> that um, when they see me out there with my Dr. Dish, who's a partner of mine, who's helped me in my training, when I turned 50, that's what I wanted for my birthday, and my husband bought me one, and I've had one since, and I use it. Uh, in clinics and camps and stuff. I drag it around with me sometimes, but I, I use it in the driveway. And it has, uh, we've raised over $635,000 in four years. And wow. I know that I am never thought I'd ever say point anything million, you know, 0.635 million. I'm getting close and I am going to get yes. to a million. And I am literally shooting until my arm falls off. <laughs> Well, now I even feel more inadequate, yeah, Steffi. Yeah, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> that is. That's awesome. Debbie, we can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. And obviously, we look forward to seeing you out on the road, all the games, both on the men's and women's side. So thank you once again, Debbie. Thank you, Richmond. And Steffi, you know I love you. Keep working hard, and uh, I'll see you on the road. Wow, Steffi. Debbie is the GOAT in terms of just the work ethic, the passion for college basketball. And as we talked about, I feel inadequate. I mean, <laughs> the stuff that she does, I mean, it's absolutely incredible. But just what insight from Debbie and just knowing her pathway, her career, I just love being able to speak to somebody and hear the wisdom that she is able to give us and exude. And you can just tell that she loves what she does. Yeah. Well, the first things first is that she's one of the most respected people in the business, period. The second thing is that, do you know how difficult it is to be so entrenched in like women's basketball, let alone in men's and be so well-versed on both. That's where I really have grown to respect Debbie because I've always looked up to her because of her work and uh, how she teaches people. You you learn when you're watching her games, which I think is, and, and she, she'll get in there, she'll make jokes. Like you'll, you'll laugh a little, you'll learn a little bit. Yes. And I think that that's, you know, what's always impressed me about Debbie, but she works so freaking hard. And I think kids now are like, they listen to that schedule and are like, hell no. You know, <laughs> I listen right. to that like, damn, would I want to do that? So she, it, it, she would do that today. And I think that's why, you know, she is just 
uh, one of the best. And so glad she joined us today. Yeah. And she's definitely one of those that I agree with you that if you're watching a game and especially if you're working as a color analyst, you definitely want to take notes and listen to how she's providing some of that information and especially how she can share the hows and the whys. And that's one of the keys for a color analyst. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, you know, listening to her on NCAA tournament calls, men's and women's, um, is always fun. And, uh, you know, she just does so much good, you know, with Special Olympics, with Frankie and, you know, him graduating. You know, it's, you know, it's it just speaks to her and her husband and the foundation that they've laid for their family. So just just really was excited to talk to her. Hope our audience enjoyed it. Yes, 100 percent. What a great way for us to kick off this 2022-23 college basketball season and the second season of Automatic Podcast. And so, you know the drill. Just go out there and find us on any podcasting platform and subscribe and rate and review. That always helps us out. But as always, we really appreciate you investing your time to listen. This is Automatic. Automatic.